So, as already said, my name is Blatio. Um, I sit with the elders here at God First Voice, and uh, I'll be continuing this series in Ephesians. Today, I'll be speaking about uh, reconciliation. So, that's going to be fun. Um, my goal today is, is simple, uh, or, or maybe not so simple. I'm, uh, what I need to do today is to convince you guys that our vertical relationship with God um, is the thing that um, uh, defines and really uh, shapes what our horizontal relationships look like, right? Um, how our relationship with God sits is how our relationship with others will sit. So my two points today, um, praise Jesus, two points, is we are one with the Father and we are one with each other. Okay, let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that uh, your word is here to not only change us, but to challenge us. I pray that as uh, we open your word today, God, may you uh, take a look into our hearts, take a, 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 a deep dive in there, God. May you uh, reveal to us the things we need to sort out, the things we need to change. In your name I pray, amen. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, please grab them. Um, open with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Uh, we'll be reading from verse 11 to verse 22. Okay, verse 11. It says the following. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Right? So what Paul does is he starts by telling us how things were, right? He starts by telling us how things were uh, B.C., right? Uh, so to say, before Christ. Um, and he starts by, by telling us um, the things that made people uh, belong to the people of God, right? What were the, the defining characteristics that made people uh, belong to the people of God? And he was trying to show us what were the things that uh, us as Gentiles, us as Gentiles, uh, that stopped us from being the people of God and how Jesus has removed that. We'll talk about that later. So the three things he says um, defined the people of God was their nationality, circumcision, and a covenant, right? So to be a part of the people of God, you had to be what Paul calls um, in the commonwealth of Israel. You had to be circumcised and you had to be part of the covenant, right? We see this in the book of Genesis. Um, when Paul, when God comes to Abraham and he speaks to him, you see this in Genesis chapter 17, uh, 1 to 14. You can go read out, just paraphrase for the sake of time. Um, but God comes to Abraham and he makes a covenant with Abraham, right? And uh, he says three things that are relevant to what we're talking about today. First, um, uh, he makes a covenant between himself and Abraham. Okay, so what's a covenant? Just to clear up some Christianese. Now, what a covenant is, is an agreement um, that someone in power makes with someone who is not in power. So back in the day, uh, what would happen is a bigger nation or a bigger tribe would defeat a smaller nation, and then they would enter into a covenant where the smaller nation would uh, promise to obey the laws and pay taxes and to be under the rulership of this country. Um, so they were given rules by the bigger country, and then the bigger country would promise to uh, protect the smaller country, it, uh, to put the smaller country under its governance. So in the same way, God, God, the one in power, comes to Abraham and he makes 
promises to Abraham, right? So what, what are the promises that God made to Abraham? So this is the second thing that's relevant. The promise God made to Abraham was that Abraham would be the father of many nations, right? He would, um, he would inherit the whole, nation, the whole area of Canaan and his descendants would uh, have that land. So God comes to father Abraham and he tells him that he will have many sons. And many sons had father Abraham. <laughs> I am one of them. So are you. So, let, okay, I'll stop, I'll stop, stop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so God comes to Abraham and says, I will make you the father of many nations. Now, what does Abraham have to do in return? Because remember, how a covenant works is the stronger person, God, comes and makes promises. Now, the weaker person, Abraham, had to do something in return as a way of uh, obeying the sovereign in order to be under this covenant. So uh, what Abraham had to do was, as a mark of the covenant, Abraham, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham and his descendants all had to be circumcised. Now, um, I would have really loved to go into the detail of uh, why they chose circumcision and uh, what, or the, the, the imagery of how um, this was something that they, they, they did in the back, and back in the day and how this then translates to what Jesus does now, how the, all that was an image of this, but I... Unfortunately, we don't have time for that. So all we're going to do today is, uh, I'm just going to say that the sign, the mark of the covenant is circumcision. Now, why was this problematic? Firstly, this was problematic because God's plan has always been to redeem the entire world. God's plan was always to redeem all nations, right? Even when he's speaking to Abraham uh, in, Gen- in Genesis chapter 17, verse 45, he says, As for me, this is God speaking, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations, not of a nation, right? So God's plan has always been to take this uh, uh, people of God thing and take it from just being a national thing, being something which is uh, specific to one type of people and make it for everyone, right? Um, a few months ago, we were going through the book of Exodus, and uh, there we spoke about how uh, God, God was doing something with the nation of Israel when he took them from a place of uh, slavery and uh, brought them into freedom. He was trying to show us an imagery of something greater he's doing in the rest of the world. Um, a few more v- verses just to show this. Um, uh, Psalms 113 verse 4. The Lord is exalted over all nations, his glory above the heavens. Psalm 22 verse 27. All, uh, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Uh, Philippians 2, 10 to 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and and people and languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. On and on I could find verses where God is after bringing all nations, all tribes, all languages, all races to being his people. He's not after a specific nation or a specific race or a specific kind of person. God is after everyone. So this single nationality thing was problematic and Jesus uh, changes this, and we'll see how he does this shortly. The second thing 
the second reason this was problematic is the mark of the covenant, circumcision, um, uh, made the religion very male-centric. Now, I don't think I have to plead my case to show you why circumcision is a very male-centric activity, right? Um, only males could do that. And this excluded half of the population, right? Um, you will find that uh, the three major religions that came out of Abraham's loins, right? Um, uh, Islam, uh, Judaism, and Christianity, um, the, the former two are still very ma- male-centric um, religions because uh, they still practice this circumcision where uh, only males could receive this mark. So uh, Christians are Christianity changes in that um, we see the value in women. Women are not uh, set aside because they cannot receive this mark. Women are just as important, made in the image of God, just like us men. So it's problematic because the covenant, the mark of the covenant, could not be received by women. Another issue is that. God looks at the heart. God, Christianity is not about outward uh, appearances, outward workings of the religion, right? There is no longer a mark that makes one Christian. There is no longer an activity that makes one Christian. So it was problematic because it's it, it gave people the false impression that if I do the right things, if I say the right things, if I have the right marks, if I, if I have the right behaviors, I make the right sacrifices, then me and God are cool when that is not the case. So how does Jesus fix this? Okay, let's keep reading from verse 13. This is Ephesians 2 verse, verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who has made um, us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. Right? So uh, before Paul speaks about this is what BC looks like. And then now he goes on to speak about now Christ, right? So now after Christ, when Christ enters the picture, this is what it now looks like, right? Through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, this is what it looks like now. The things that once alienated the Gentiles from being part of the kingdom of God, Christ has come and he has fixed this. Fixed this. Now, how has he done this? Firstly, he has broken down the walls of nationality and race, right? So before, the people of God were a specific kind of people. They were a specific, a specific race, a specific nationality. Now, Jesus has come and it says that he, 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 Jesus has come and he has called in those who are far off, right? Those who are not part of the nation of Israel and he has called them in to be part of the nation of Israel, right? Um, he has called people who before were not identified or did not identify themselves as the people of God, um, and he has called them in. He has broken down this wall which uh, separated these two kinds of people. Um, so now there's no longer a type of person who uh, uh, God calls, because he calls all kinds of people. Galatians 3 verse 28 says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
So now in Christ, there are no longer any physical distinctions. There are no longer any uh, things that we have to do. You are, not, you are not a person or a child of God because of the circumstances that you are born in. So if you're here today and you're thinking, look, I, I don't think I'm the kind of person who does this church stuff. The good news is there is no such kind of person. Right? This church stuff is for everyone. Your, it doesn't matter how much you earn or how much you don't earn. Your race or your color or your, uh, uh, what the languages you speak, it is not, it is not longer about um, the circumstances which you are born in. It is about Christ. Second thing Jesus do, does is he has broken down the requirements of the law expressed in ordinances. Now, what they mean by ordinances, he means circumcision, the mark of the covenant. And he has created a new and better covenant, right? Remember, we said before that when God came to Abraham, he made him promises. And in return, Abraham had to hold or have the mark of the covenant. In the same way, Jesus comes to us and he makes us promises. Now, what Jesus says to us is that um, I will give you my righteousness. I will follow and obey the laws which were set uh, up for you to obey. And I will give you my righteousness. I will give you my holiness. My, uh, when God sees you now, he no longer sees you and your sin and your failure and your inability to obey. What God sees is his son's righteousness, his perfection, his holiness. And you are made justified you you are made just as if you had never sinned so for that promise just like abraham the abrahamic covenant they had to be a sign a mark of this covenant now this mark of the covenant is now faith it's now belief is it's no longer a physical mark that you have it is an inward mark which only god really truly sees um, the mark of faith so as Jesus do, do, when Jesus does this, he fixes the relationship from God to us. Okay, let us keep reading. Verse 17. It says, And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints um, and embers of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God um, by the Spirit. Okay, so my second point is we are one with each other, right? So Jesus, when he comes, it says he preaches peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. He preaches peace to those who are near him, like him, who are in the part of his nation and those who were unlike him, far from him, those who are not part of his nation. He was preaching peace to those who looked like him, people of his own race, and those who did not look like him, those who are not of his race. He was preaching peace to people who spoke like him and uh, had enough money like he did, but, and he was preaching peace to those who were unlike him. So the whole idea of conciliation, the whole idea of reconciliation, taking two things that are unlike each other and bringing them together is God's idea. The whole idea of taking um, people who are 
different from each other, who believe different things, and bringing them together to one big family is God's idea. So racial reconciliation is God's idea. As Jesus came and he preached peace to those who are far off, those who are unlike him, and preaching them peace that they can come and be with him, and those who are like him as well, uh, he's saying, come together, we are one. So coming from Zimbabwe, because um, I'm Zimbabwean, um, I got here in, uh, in 2008 uh, to study and all. But uh, when I got here, the really striking thing for me was, for the first time, and I've told this story before, for the first time, I realized that I was black. Now, I, I'd always known I was black, right? I'm not delusional, right? I'm not colorblind. Um, but for the first time, me being black had to move from being a, a, a characteristic of mine, just one of my characteristics, my, one of my characteristics among many of my very good characteristics, right? Because, um, you know, back, back before I came here, I was not only just black, right? I was the smart guy. I was the handsome guy, right? So I was, I was all these things. But when I came here, I don't know why this is funny. It's true. But, but when I came here, I came from being a black guy, a characteristic, to being a black guy, the characteristic. Where uh, things about me were already concluded because of the color of my skin. Right? Where I would hear these, these statements like, you speak well. <laughs> you, have a, you have a very interesting accent when they really mean you speak well for a black guy. Where uh, who I was had moved from being Blasio, a guy who's black and handsome and smart and all these things, to being just Blasio, the black guy. Now, uh, me being an outsider, um, what this did for me was it allowed me to see and really not get involved, right? Because as much as I am black, I'm not from here. Um, all the injustices and all the bad things that happened to black people back in the day um, and even right now, um, I, I, I was not privy to. I did not, I did not really know. So I could watch as an outsider and observe, right? So as well in my university days, um, I was privileged to be uh, part of a touring band, right? Um, and we would uh, tour around South Africa. We would uh, go to other nations. We visited most uh, nations in Southern Africa. We went to uh, Northern Africa for some time as well. And we would uh, basically go to churches, uh, play for them, and uh, preach the word to people. And it was uh, very interesting. Now, what this did for me was, as I went to these places, I saw that in every culture, in uh, everywhere that you go, every nation, every uh, group of people, there is um, something that people use, almost like a singular characteristic that they use to devalue some people and make some people more valuable, right? Um, in some places, it was um, how pious were you, right? Uh, if, you, if you love Jesus, you do all the religious things, then uh, you were valued. You were very valued there. But uh, in other places, the more pious you were, the more devalued you were. Right? In other places, it was uh, your level of education or the tribe that you come from or uh, the, the, the amount of money that you have, the type of house that you stay in. It was all singular characteristics that people used to either value or devalue people. And in South Africa, that thing was really race. Right? You are valuable because you are this color 
or you're not valuable because you are this color. Now, of course, many great steps have been done in the years to solve this issue, but it still remains an issue. Racial segregation in our country is a real issue. So, I began to wonder, what causes people to do this? Why do people devalue other people and um, uh, increase the value of other people based on singular characteristics? So, I went to God, I prayed about it. And I think the thing is that as people, we just genuinely do not love each other. We don't. Right? They, it, it takes a level of um, not loving someone to take a single characteristic about them um, that they look different from you do, right? that they have different uh, levels of education that you, that you have, they don't have as much money that you do, that they fit into the stereotypes that you've been told your whole life, and then take that characteristic and devalue them because of that one thing. So it's, it's not just a racial thing, yeah? right? Here the thing might be racial segregation, but um, it's also uh, sex, sexism, where people discriminate against other people because of, the gender that they, or because of their gender, right? Or classism, discrimination based on socioeconomic status. Or religiousism, where people discriminate against other people because of the religion they are in. Or heterosexism, uh, discrimination against someone because of sexual proclivities. The reason we do any of these things is because we don't love each other. Now, I know um, uh, some of those isms I just mentioned um, have with them some connotation of sin, right? Like uh, heterosexism, right? Where you, you, you discriminate against another, uh, against people because of their sexual proclivity, because they are homosexuals. Now, here's the truth of the Bible. We were not called to love sinless people. We were not called to just uh, gather up in our holy huddle and love each other. No. Jesus uh, hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors. The sinful people of the day. Our job is not to judge, oh, you are the sinful one, so I need to stay away from you, right? Unless I, I might just catch your sin. And I need to hang out with these guys that are sinless. Because here's the truth you need to get. If you are so bent on loving sinless people, then you love no one. Because we are all sinners. Okay. I think the issue is when... Okay, so I'm sure all of us have heard that saying, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. If you've been in church for more than five minutes, you've heard that one. If you haven't heard it, you heard it now. Right? <laughs> love the sinner, hate the sin. Right? Where it should be, I love you. I don't necessarily love what you're doing, but I love you. I will sacrifice my money for you. I will be there for you when you need me. When you cry, I'll be there to cry with you. When you're happy, I'll be there to rejoice you. My calling is to love you. I may not love your sin. I think the issue comes when the I love you, but I don't love your sin changes to I don't love you because I don't love your sin. Or I don't love you because of X. Fill it in yourself. Okay. So I'm going to out myself about something that uh, I've been ashamed of in my life. So I mentioned before that I, um, I'm from Zim. And growing up in Zim, um, one thing that is deeply entrenched in the people there is 
uh, a very deep of heterosexism, right? Where uh, we 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 move with the assumption that homosexuals, people that uh, don't practice heterosexual heterosexuality, there's something wrong with them. There's something uh, uh, deeply uh, flawed about them. And uh, it, I don't know if this is still the case, but at some point in Zimbabwe, being homosexual carried with it a jail sentence. So uh, this being the state of the land, it got entrenched in all of us. And I found myself developing a very deep, very strong homophobia. Where it's, it, it's not like, you know, I could not tell you why, but I, was, I, was, I could not speak to these people. I could not, uh, I, I could not go to them, genuinely uh, uh, chase them for friendships. These made in the image of God, these loved by God, these precious human beings, I could not find it in my heart to be friends with them. Where my, um, uh, I love you, but I don't love your sin, crossed over to a, I honestly cannot say I love you. Because I do not love what you're doing. Now, I, I could easily go with, uh, oh, but it was, that's what happened in the country, right? That's what everyone was doing, right? I was brainwashed by what uh, everyone else was doing. I was, uh, I was, I was put in the corner. The, I had no option but to be this way. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people that uh, supported the apartheid system said the exact same thing. I was brainwashed. That's what was going on then. But I think here's the truth of the matter. For myself, for ours, for us, for the people um, who are involved here, for everyone here, I think the problem is simply that we do not love people because they are different from us. Hannah Gatsby, um, a lesbian comedian, says, the most dangerous thing you can be in this world is different. So I wanted to find out why. Right? Uh, what is going on in my heart so I don't love people the way I should? Right? Um, uh, what is going on in our hearts that we don't love people because of where they're from or what they look like or, or the shade of their skin or what they are into? What is going on? A few verses. Romans twelve nine to 10 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, Matthew nineteen nineteen. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, 1 John three seventeen. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God, God's love abide in him? 1 John 4, verse 17. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John four twenty. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Okay, so I started by speaking about how uh, God has done the work of fixing the vertical relationship from God to us, right? Um, there is nothing that you can do to, uh, to, to destroy that. There's nothing you can do to remove that. God loves you. That's just the way it is, right? You may not like it. You may, you may feel like you've done something to not deserve it, but that's just the way it is. God loves you. Um, Paul says in Romans uh, 8, verse 38 to 39, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love 
of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So God loves us. That is sorted. There's nothing you can do to change that. That vertical relationship down is sorted. So this is what I'm not saying um, with what I'm going to say next. I'm not saying that God's love for you is at any way affected by this. God's love for you. Now, the verses we just read, uh, that list of verses, speak a lot about somehow there's a relationship between how we love God and how we love others. Right? They, not how God loves us, but how we love God and how, how we then love others. There is a relationship um, uh, on how our affections for God somehow build uh, or define our affections for others. Now, this is not... Now, I do not think the Bible is saying the following. God is not saying that if you want to increase your love for God, then you need to increase your love for others. Right? Um, I, don't think, I don't think God kind of looks down and he sees us doing all these great things and he says, oh, they must love me. Look how they're doing all these great things. No, um, God can see your heart. So God is not saying uh, for you to love him more, you need to love others. But I, this is what I think he's saying. Firstly, our lack of love for others shows us our lack of love for God. Now, in our, Bi- in our Bibles, God has given us these um, indicators to see uh, the state of our hearts, right? Because half the time, we either don't know what's going on in our hearts, or we have believed some lie about what's going on in our hearts. So, uh, for instance, in Matthew 6, verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So, if you want to see where your treasure is, you need, uh, if, you, if you want to see where your heart is, what you really value, what are the things that uh, you really have as most important in your life, we need to look at your bank statements. Right? Look at what you spend your money on. Here too, God is saying, if you want to see, if you want to see how much you love me, look at how you love others. Your lack of love for others shows us um, shows us our lack of love for God. And now, you may, you, may, you may be thinking about this and think, look, there are these kinds of people that I don't like, right? I, you may say, look, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a racist. I'm a sexist, right? I, 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 there's this section of people which I just don't think are as valuable as other people. Now, I don't think that makes you a monster. I think that makes you human, Right? I think it's a great place to start so you can see actually what is going on in your heart. What is going on under your chest. Um, and that way you can see how then to fix it. The second thing this does is, uh, the second thing I think this is trying to show us is, the deeper we grow in our love for God, the deeper our love for others will grow. If you find yourself not being able to love others the way you should, the issue is not your love for others at its foundation. The issue is your love for God. Okay. Now, um, I have been tasked with showing you guys what loving God deeper looks like. Right? Now, uh, I was only tasked with this last night, so it might not be great. So, here's my thing. I don't think I can show you outward workings of what loving God looks like. Because I know our hearts will just go after those things and do those things and be like, look, God, I love you. But that's not how it works. 
So what I've done instead is I've found some characters, some people, who I think had this right. And I'm going to show you what they say. My first example is David. Um, Psalm 42, verse 1 to 2 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Then shall I come, and when shall I come um, and appear before God? Right? So, uh, I know a lot of us might know this text from uh, these cute coffee mugs they make, right? With, you know, we've made this verse very cute and happy. But what David is saying here is, I am in agony. I'm in pain. Uh, I, I'm, I feel like a deer that's, that's in a desert and is just panting for water. I need some thirst. I, I need some water. Like this deer is looking for water. I need God. I feel separated from him. When can I come, come back and dine with the God, right? He uses words like yearning and fainting and um, his love is better than life. Now, I, I don't think these are words that one would use with a friend. Right? I wouldn't call up Stephen. I'm like, yeah, Stephen, I yearn for you, bro. Can you... I yearn for you. I've got this. No, I wouldn't do that because that would be weird. Right? Now, I, I don't think those are words that are, that are also of reverence. Right? Where it's, uh, I glorify you, God. I'm, I, I, I want to give praise to you. Now, what is that? It's, it's a deep, insatiable love which almost kind of crosses the line to lust. Okay, Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk three verse seventeen to eighteen says, "Though the fig tree, um, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruits be on its vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the store. Yet will yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the Lord, my salvation." So Habakkuk is saying, I don't care if I have no money. I don't care if I have no food. I don't care if I have no friends. I don't care if everyone leaves me. As long as I have God, I'm good. There is a deep, infectious, almost borderline lust for God. Okay, from church history, Augustine from Hippo says, How sweet all at once. It was for me to be rid of these fruitless joys, which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. Though not to flesh and blood, you who outshine all light, yet are hidden deeper than all secrets in our hearts. You are you who surpasses all honor, though not in the eyes of men who see all honor in themselves. O Lord, O God, O Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, my salvation. John Owen said, O to behold the glory of Christ. Herein would I live, herein would I die, herein would I dwell in my thoughts and my affections until all things here uh, below become as dead and deformed things and in no longer uh, any way calling out for my affections. Brother Lawrence says, probably the most memorable one, I have had at times such delicious thoughts of the Lord that I'm ashamed to mention them. So when I read that, I just felt dirty, right? I, I had to go take a shower. Just, just, delicious is for food. Sorry. Now, these men through the Bible uh, and in church history have got it. Now, I don't know if I can explain it to you. 
I don't know if I can uh, tell you in words what this is and tell you, okay, these are the steps to getting deeper in love with God. I don't know if I can do that. Right? I, I can probably tell you to read your Bible more. I can probably tell you to pray more. I can probably tell you to do devotions more. But I don't know. That might not work for you. But here's the important thing. We need to deepen our love for God. I don't know what that looks like for you. This is a journey you might have to take on yourself. But we need to deepen our love for God. If you find that you do not love people as you should. And I think we're all there. We don't love others as we should. The key is not to beat yourself to submission. The key is to deepen your love for God. 